Thank you for visiting Crosslink Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at cocchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. Okay, let's dive into this series. I am very, very excited about this. I think that some of the material we're going to cover in the next four weeks is very pertinent uh, hopefully to someone who's in the room this morning and and if you're a visitor with us this morning and somebody said you've got to go to our church this morning our pastor said you've got to come here's here's the deal i want to make with you i'm going to respect uh, whatever position you come from relative to jesus i'm going to respect any position you come from relative to god but i am also going to try my best to achieve a very specific agenda with you for the next three or four weeks. And if you are a person that doesn't go to church a lot, or if you're a person that, that uh, you're not even sure what you believe, I want you to know that you're in a very safe place. I want you to know that we value you very highly, and uh, we do not look down our nose at you at all. In fact, we, we, um, uh, we highly respect you and highly respect the opinions that you have. But I think that we have some things that we can say to you in a way that maybe have never been said to you before. So I, I'm just going to shoot straight with you for the next several weeks and try to get you to see some things from a new perspective maybe. And um, I realize that my agenda is very naive because here's my agenda. My agenda is this, that over the next four weeks, as I talk to you about Jesus Christ and about faith and about God, my agenda is that everyone who hears the sound of my voice right now and through the next uh, four weeks, at the end of this series, will be willing, if they have not already placed their faith in Christ and been immersed uh, in, in baptism, that you would be willing to do that. Now, I know that that's a naive agenda. I know that that is a, a naive goal on my part to think that everybody is just going to suddenly want to go get in the baptistry and get saved. But um, some of you have been toying with that idea for a long time. Some of you have thought about it for a real long time, and you've never done anything with it. And you think, well, you know, I, th I think there's something more. I know there's a God. I know, I, I know something about Jesus, and I know there's something more than what I've learned or what I've been told, but I don't really know where to start. And, and you've, maybe, maybe for you, you've got a foot or two on the brake. You know, the, the car's moving, and you're thinking, I'm just not sure I'm ready to go there just yet. I would like for you in the next four weeks to give up some of your resistance. I would like for you in the next four weeks to just... Um, stop fighting that thing that is tugging against you and against your heart and for you to maybe for the first time embrace the possibility of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, it could be that you're here today and, and, and you haven't been to this church and you haven't been to any church for a long, long time and not only do you have both feet on the brake, you're not even really sure you're in the car. You're not, you're not even sure you're heading in that direction at all and you would say, you know, this whole faith thing, I, I'm not sure I, I want to even talk about faith and you're thinking oh great they told me that this guy was going to be nice to me and now right off the bat he's, he's you know putting pressure on me not so for the next four weeks i want to talk about some observations about adults who were not christians who eventually became christians and how they got to that place and when i say christian i don't mean a good person i don't mean somebody who just believes in god and i don't mean somebody who who just believes that Jesus was a good guy and was a good teacher and lives somewhere. I'm talking about people who have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ and that relationship shapes who they are and how they uh, respond to life and the world around them. Someone who says, I, I want to reorder my life and my relationships and my finances and the way I parent and my responses to authority and my responses to my boss and I want to reorder my whole life to the teachings of Jesus. And so, 
they have said, I want to become a follower of Jesus. I, I would like to do everything in my power, which isn't much, I can confess that to you, to convince you, and I'm not really sure convince is the right word, to persuade you, to explain to you, um, because what's happened is some of you maybe have come to the edge of faith, and that's where this series title comes from, The Plunge. You've come to the edge, you've looked over, I don't know the first time you ever stood on a diving board and were thinking to yourself, you know, I'd like to dive, but it's scary. I don't know that I want to take this plunge. This is a scary thing. I remember um, first time I ever got up on a, and the, the truth be told, had I tried to go off a 10-meter board, I talked big like I think I would do that. I probably would have wet my pants and not been able to have to have gone off a 10-meter board. If, if just, it's just us, okay? We're just, we're all friends, and so I'm confessing I probably wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, even when I got up on the three-meter board, it was kind of scary. So you look over, and you think, man, I don't know. Um, what actually made me do that is I knew cameras were rolling, and I knew we had to have this video, and I didn't want to stand up here on Sunday morning and not have anything, so that kind of pushed me over. But maybe you've come to the edge of your personal faith diving board, looked over the edge and said, you know, I don't know. I just don't know if I'm ready uh, to do that. And, and if you and I were to sit down across a table and to start talking about why you have never taken the plunge, why you've never actually gone off, why you've never put yourself into uh, uh, the, the whole faith thing, um, if we were to sit across from one another, you'd say, you know, I know God is real and I know God's good and he's great, but uh, all this stuff going on in the world and it's so big and, and there's just too much suffering and maybe that's your obstacle this morning. Maybe that's the thing that gets in the way of faith for you is that there's just too much suffering in the world and I, I just can't get past all the suffering and, and that's your obstacle between you and Christianity. And I wouldn't say, oh, that's stupid. You shouldn't have that as, a, as an obstacle. That's not something that you should consider. Or maybe your obstacle is, you know, I've known too many Christians and the Christians I've known aren't any that are really all that different from the, the non-Christians that I know and so... Um, I, you know, sometimes I think I'm a better person than some of the Christians I've met. And I wouldn't look at you and say, well, that's a, um, an unrealistic thing. I would look at you and say, you know what, that's a realistic obstacle. Because w Christians can be pretty stupid people sometimes, and we can make mistakes, and we can kind of get haywire sometimes. And so that's not an, uh, an, an, a strange obstacle for you. And I, I certainly wouldn't look at you if you had an opinion that said, you know, I just... I can't, I, based on the Christians I know, I just can't get there. I wouldn't look at you and say that that was an was unrealistic obstacle. Maybe your deal is you were just raised in a completely different religious environment, and you say things like, you know, uh, the problem with you Christians is you think you're the only ones. You, you, you think that Jesus is the only way and that everybody else is wrong, and, and I just have a problem with that. Now, I understand that is a huge obstacle. I understand that's a, that's a big problem for some people, I'm not going to look at you and say, well, that's unrealistic. You shouldn't have that, that obstacle. Listen, if that's an obstacle in the way of faith for you, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And I'm not at all asking you to just intellectually dismiss all that stuff so that you can, you know, we can just all hold hands and sing kumbaya and you can take the plunge with everybody else and dismiss all of your obstacles. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, or maybe your thing is that... Um, uh, you know, Brett, what about all the other religions in the world? I mean, how, how is it that you think that, I mean, I see these television preachers and they, they seem to think that, that all the other religions aren't, aren't as good as Christianity and, and Jesus is the only way and I hear things like that. And, and, you know, you might say, well, I think Jesus is a good way. I think Jesus is a way, and I've heard this in the last couple of weeks. Um, 
but I just can't get past the exclusive claims of Jesus uh, on, on the lives of people that he wants to follow them. There has to be more than one way to come to faith. Or maybe your deal is, you know, you're, you're starting to believe this whole thing, but your family didn't. And so, you know, your, your parents didn't, your grandmother didn't, and maybe this is a real emotional obstacle for you, and I don't know how many times I've talked to adults and this has been a real obstacle for them. You know, they, they know that there's something to faith, they know that Jesus is real, they know they, they're, they're, they're pretty sure that the cross has something to do with their sin and they're ready to, to kind of buy into all that, but you know what, my dad never gave his life to Christ or my grandmother was never a Christian and, and if I give in to this, then I'm saying the way they live their life is all wrong and it just seems like I'm not going to have much respect for my grandmother or my, my dead grandfather or, or my mom or, or somebody like that. And, and it's like they're saying that, that they're wrong and, and you just can't bring yourself to say that. And so uh, I get that. See, you can talk to somebody and you can ask them, why aren't you a Christian? And... and what you are likely to hear is, well, if I have to be honest, the whole notion of Jesus paying for my sins is just something that I struggle with. I, I've heard that a lot. I've heard a lot of adults, a lot of adults have a problem with the whole free lunch thing because you've been taught in your world there's no such thing as a free lunch. And then all of a sudden, here comes the preacher and he says, Jesus died for you. You can have salvation. It, it's free to you. And you hear that and the skeptic in you says, no, nothing's free. You know, nothing, nothing is free. And, and this whole notion of somebody paying for my, my sins and the sins of the whole world, Brett, I just, I just don't buy that, and, and that would be their obstacle. Maybe your obstacle isn't even that specific. Maybe, um, in fact, I think there are a lot of people who are in this category. The reason you're not a Christian is that you, you just don't care. You know, it's just like, um, it's just not that big a deal. In, in other words, if I said to you, why, don't, why won't you become a Christian, you would look back at me and say, well, Brett, why won't you become an astronaut? You know, why, why don't you just stand on one foot? I mean, it, it just doesn't seem like that big a deal. It just, it's never been something, I don't know. I don't even care. I, I don't feel the tension. Uh, somebody would say, you know, I don't, I don't feel any draw or any need. Brett, that's great for you and all the naive people that go to your church. And, and uh, that's wonderful. But uh, I just don't care. It's just not that big a deal to me. And so those might be some of your obstacles. And for me to stand up here and tell you in the next four weeks that I want you to just cross the line and, and, uh, that's a little bit naive on my part to suggest that you're just going to dismiss whatever obstacles are in the way and you're going to take the plunge and you're going to do this thing uh, and just dismiss all those obstacles. That's highly naive on my part and, and I don't expect it to be that way um, because you have things that are between you and becoming a Christian that are very real to you and they're big and they are questions that have not been answered to this point and um, you can't ignore those. In fact, you, I'm telling you that, that you would be foolish. You would be foolish to dismiss those obstacles in your life. Okay, so, so let's just start there. Let's start by, by me acknowledging that you've got obstacles. They're very real obstacles. They're very valid. And nobody in this room this morning expects you to just put those aside and be that intellectually untrue to yourself. Now, Here's something that I need to say. I, I've seen my share of adults come to Christ, and here's what I've seen. Very few adults, very few adults have come to Christ after they have worked their way through every obstacle that they have to faith. In, in other words, 
Uh, I mean, it happens, but it's very rare. In other words, a, a person says, my issue is suffering in the world, and, and then someone gives them a book, and they read the, a book on suffering in the world, and at the end of that book, they get that issue resolved, and they say, now that I've got this obstacle or this issue revo- resolved, I'm ready now to, to receive Christ and to step into faith. Um, it just doesn't happen that way for most adults. Um, that almost never happens, in fact. And yet, uh, you and I, if we were to have a conversation about Christianity, you would throw out an obstacle, and, and we could spend almost all of our time talking about whatever that is, and it could have been one of those things I mentioned earlier, as to the reason that you resist Christianity. And even if I were to be able to explain to you everything about that objection, every, every problem that you have with that, and, and if I could get you over the hump in, in every possible objection you have, it is not likely that you're just going to become a Christian after I can explain away all your obstacles. It's not going to happen like that. It just, it just wouldn't. Here's what I've observed. Adults who become Christians generally do not do so by working through all their obstacles. They generally do so because something happens that shrinks those obstacles. Something shrinks the objections that they have to faith. They still have the same questions, they still have the same obstacles, but they embrace Christianity anyway, and they just carry those things along right into their faith with them. Now, here's one of the things you hear once in a while. Someone has a big tragedy, and, and uh, suddenly here's a man or a woman who has had all kinds of obstacles to faith, and, uh, and the Bible, and miracles, and walking on water, and you know, they say things like, you know, you've got to be kidding if you think I'm going to believe something like that. I just, I just don't think so. And you've had all these great questions, and then suddenly tragedy strikes. And, and these people who have never fully embraced Christ, and they have carried all these objections and all these obstacles with them all through their life, and then this major bad thing happens they suddenly find themselves on their knees next to their bed praying to a God that they're not even sure really exists, but they're kind of in the mind frame of mind that says, you know, I'm just going to hedge my bets right now, okay? I don't really know what's going on in my world, and it just makes sense for me to get on my knees and to pray because now, instead of this being an intellectual category, this has become really personal in my life because now there is something going on in my world that has touched me personally and all of a sudden my objections and my obstacles aren't nearly as big as they used to be and God looks pretty good to me right now because I need something bigger than me I need something that I can hang on to and I need something that I can really latch on to and suddenly whether or not Adam and Eve are real people doesn't seem to matter anymore whether or not they got dinosaurs on the ark it doesn't really seem to be a big problem in, in light of the tragedy that's going on in my life. And, you know, in, in, in other words, who wrote the Bible doesn't seem to be as big a deal when I've got these major issues going on and I'm trying to sort life out and it just doesn't seem to make sense to me. You know, was it seven days, literal days of creation or not? You know, that suddenly doesn't seem to be as big an obje- objection in light of the fact that, oh no, my mother is, is seriously ill or I've got a son that's got a real problem and, and you know, God, w- help me make sense of all this. You know, and what about science? And what about my English teacher? And what about my, my, my biology professor? You know, and all those things that were really huge at one point, suddenly when tragedy strikes us and this gets really, really personal, all this stuff, and we've been able to keep God at arm's length all this time, suddenly when tragedy finally pierces through into our world, it changes the way we look at God. It changes the way we carry these obstacles with us. And so suddenly in the face of tragedy, those things seem to shrink And all of a sudden, the idea of God gets really, really personal because, God, I need you, and I don't even know if you're out there. But if you are, 
I need to hear from you. And sometimes people come to have extraordinary faith uh, when someone they love is sick or when suddenly they realize that, you know, I have an addiction and I can't get past this by myself or my marriage is in trouble or, you know, my, ch- my child is, is in need. Um, I, I have something that's beyond me. I have something that's bigger than me. And so it's amazing how tragedy will shrink, will shrink the obstacles. And they don't go away. And they don't all get resolved. And, 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 and they, they, just, they just get smaller. There are things that, that may have been huge to you your whole life, but all of a sudden, in light of other things, they just start to get smaller. And suddenly, this God thing is more than just a category. It gets really, really personal. Sometimes, you know, people just read the Bible and start believing for whatever reason because they've read the Bible and it starts to touch their heart and they give their life to Christ. That way they say, I believe. And again, their obstacles aren't gone. Their obstacles begin to shrink when they start to see Jesus move and work in their life. And so for the next few weeks, I just want to talk about that. So, so see, here's what's not going to happen uh, this morning, and here's what's not going to happen over the next four weeks. We could look thoroughly at each and every one of the obstacles and objections that you have. And we could take them out and we could spend a lot of time and I could lay every one of those things to rest. And, you know, if I was smart enough, I could, I could, you know, out-argue somebody. I'm not saying I could, but if I could, I could out-argue somebody and get all the objections laid to rest. And and you're still not going to say, well, okay, now I'm ready to come to faith in Christ. You just wouldn't. And here's why. Because Christianity isn't just a category, and Christianity isn't simply just about getting your questions answered. Christianity is intensely personal. And until it gets personal for you, then you're not going to move off the bubble. And so adults decide to become, to, to, to become Christians when, when they decide to follow Jesus, when the questions get shrunk by the personal nature of a relationship with who Jesus is. Now, I know some of you have to be thinking, Brett, if you think that I'm going to be so intellectually naive as to dismiss all of my objections um, just because of some weird experience, just because something strange happens in my life, because somebody gets sick or because, uh, you know, all of a sudden I think I need God and I have some kind of jailhouse conversion, Brett, I'm way too smart for that and I would never fall for something like that. And, and so for the next several minutes, I want to explain to you that you have already done that in other parts of your life and you don't even realize it. Because as smart as we are and as ironclad as we think our objections are and as, as solid as we think our obstacles are to faith, uh, we have allowed objections in other arenas and other areas of life to shrink in light of something very personal. Personal. So let me explain to you. Um, and remember, this is just an introduction to the series this morning. We're not going to solve it all this morning. It's going to take some time for us to unfold it all. But um, I'm not going to try to fix it all today. Uh, I'm just trying to, to help you to get thinking. But I want to talk to the guys just for a minute uh, as we think about uh, other areas in life where we have kind of set our objections to the side. Um, I want to talk to all the married men. Men, do you remember all the reasons you had, all the objections you had when you were a single man as to why you were not going to get married. You remember that? You remember conversations with your buddies and they'd say, when are you going to get married? Or your mama would fix you, you know, your favorite apple pie or whatever. And she'd say, you know, when are, I want grandkids. When are you going to get married? And, and you're thinking to yourself, I am not getting married because um, you just weren't interested in that. It, it just wasn't on the horizon for you. And immediately you said, because, 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 and you had all these objections. 
okay? There were all these obstacles to getting married for you, and, and you had them all listed out. You said, you know, I don't think so. I would rather take my problems as a single guy over the problems I see in my married friends. I'm just not going to get married. And somebody says, hey, you ought to marry her. And then you've immediately got a bunch of reasons why you're not going to marry her. And here are some of the reasons that we used for not getting married. And you tell me if you didn't at some point say at least one of these, if not all of these. You you didn't want to give up your freedom, right? You had all this freedom, and I'm not giving up my freedom. I live for me. I'm not living for her. And you you didn't want to make a commitment. You know, you were Mr. Non-Commitment. You didn't commit to anybody or anything, and I'm my own person, I'm my own man. And, and, and how about number three? You didn't have the money to get married, right? I mean, it costs money. It costs, gonna cost, I, gotta, I, can't, I can't pay for the stuff I want, much less pay for the stuff she's going to want. You know, I can't afford her going off and shopping all the time, and I don't have the money for that. Or maybe your objection was, have you looked around at the married people and seen how miserable they are? I mean, Why? Would I want to lump myself in with that bunch of people? I don't want to get married and look like those people. Or maybe you said, you know, I'm just too young. I know I'm just 46, but I'm too young, you know. To, I, I, can't, I can't get married yet. It's, it's just, it's, um, and those were some of your objections. And, and what if I commit to the wrong person and think, you know, I should have never given her a ring. What if I give her a ring and then think, oh, man, I should have majorly messed up i should not have have given her a ring now guys just think with me for a minute how many of these things did you really thoroughly work through before you got married how many of those did you take one by one and say well here's my objection i'm going to work through that now i've got that laid to rest and you went through all of your objections and then when you got done you said now i'm ready to get married that's not what you did that's not what you did you may be the exception but i've not met um, uh, I've not met every married man in the world. Okay, so I can't say this uh, for certain, but I've never met a married guy that said, now here's what I did before I got married. I went through my list and I said, okay, the freedom thing. If I, if I work through the freedom thing, um, I got a couple of good books. I checked that out. I figured out that, that, that uh, you know, I'm not gonna have to give up all my freedom so I can check that one off my list. And then I, I went to the one that talked about being committed and I looked at some other areas of my life where I've committed and I realized, you know what? You can commit and still be autonomous. And so I checked that off my list. That's not one that I need to worry about. And then you went to the next one. You said, you know, Brett, then I saved and I saved and I saved and I got enough money. I saved and I saved. And then I was 46 and I thought, okay, now I think... I've got enough money for me, and if she's really frugal, and if she doesn't want a whole lot, you know, then, then we might have enough money. If I marry somebody with really low expectations, um, you know, check. I think I can write that one off. So I'm going to make it a point to hang around happily married people, and, and I'm going to see that being married is maybe not as bad as I thought it was, and then I can check that off my list. Now, guys, I'm not going to make you raise your hands, Okay? But I feel pretty confident that none of us resolved this before we got married. Do you know why? It's very simple. It's very simple. Okay? Very simple. I'm just kidding. I'm not really, but I am kind of kidding. 
what happened is you fell in love okay you fell in love and and because before love came along marriage was a category it was a thing that you kept way out there away from you and you could talk about it the way uh, uh, you know we were just talking about it you could have all these objections and you could object and object and object and and even when somebody would try to put pressure on you and get married you had an obstacle and they were real and you know when you would say those people go well you know that's 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 pretty good now I'm not discounting that that they were very very real but but here's what happened see when when they talked about well why don't you get married you had all your obstacles but then you met her right you met her and she was different than all the other ones that you'd ever dated and and there was something special about her and she got very personal and it got very personal and now all of a sudden the obstacles in your world it wasn't about committing the rest of my life to somebody out there somewhere it's about committing personally to her because it got personal your your objections started to shrink and now when you started to think about, well, I don't, you know, forget the fact that I don't have enough money, it's her. And I'll find the money to get married to her. Because again, it got personal. And all of a sudden, when it got personal, you were able to overcome a lot of your objections to getting married. And so you got married in spite of the fact that you didn't want to give up your freedom. You got married in spite of the fact that you didn't want to make a commitment. In spite of the fact you didn't have enough money. In spite of the fact that, that you saw unhappily married people all around you. None of that seemed to phase you. All of a sudden your objections started to really shrink in light of the fact that you had now met her. And she was touching your heart in a way that had never been touched before. And so um, you thought even, even if I met someone else I will never meet anybody else like her and your objections didn't go away they just got a whole lot smaller see they don't become christians by working through the list because whatever your objection to christianity is i could give you a book about it and you could read the book and maybe you could even out argue the author of the book but that wouldn't make you a christian you're not going to read the book and come to the end of that and say well okay you know maybe i need to come to faith any more than working through all your objections to getting married is going to make you want to get married you just had a lot more information that's all that would happen if we work through all of your ob obstacles and all your objections the only thing that's going to happen is you're just going to have way more information but you're still going to have the obstacles and you're still going to have the objections christianity is at its nature so incredibly personal that the only way you will ever take the plunge is as these objections begin to shrink and so i'm not asking you to intellectually dismiss all those things those are real things they are things that should be considered and i wouldn't for one second just offer to you you know you just need to leave here and forget all that stuff no not at all there are a lot of illustrations of this um, ladies let me let me talk to you for a minute why would a woman want to have a baby have you have you thought that through do you know how dangerous it is for you physically to have a baby do you have you not paid attention what it's going to do to your body have you have you not seen these women walking around that are bigger than a house and understand that that's going to be you and that that's going to change your body in ways you can't imagine 
Do you realize it'll never be the same in your house again? That peace and quiet you have in the morning when you wake up and you have your coffee all by yourself. Your husband has gone off to work and you can just sit there and relax and eat bonbons and watch The View all day. I really don't believe that that's what you do. Thank you. Don't Thank you for not throwing something at me when I said that. Have you sat down and added up the tens and tens of thousands of dollars that it is going to cost you to raise that child? And believe me now that we're in the throes of college, what it's going to cost to educate that kid? Have you thought through what this child is going to cost you? Have you added up what it takes to raise a baby? Do you have that much money? I mean, why would you have a baby? It's not because you worked through the risk factors. It's not because you worked through the money factors. It's not because you, you worked through all the physical factors and understood and were okay. It's not because of any of that. It, it's because something inside of you started to shrink those objections when it got really personal for you. My husband and I want to bring a life into this world, and we want to love a baby. And it got really personal for you. And any objection that I, and I might be able to stand up here and give you all the objections and even make a pretty strong case as to why you shouldn't have a baby. And you might say, Brett, you're making great, you're making great observations. You're making great points. But the fact of the matter is, I've gotten to a place where this is really personal for me and I am going to have a baby. I know it's going to give me stretch marks. I know I'm going to be tired. I know we're not going to have any money. I know this kid's going to scream all the time. I know I'm not going to get any sleep. I know it's going to grow up and I'm going to ask myself, why did I do that? But all those objections shrink, don't they? When you start thinking about holding a baby in your arms, it gets personal and your objections start to shrink down. All I'm saying is, I think you have to keep your objections to Christianity front and center. I think you have to keep asking big questions. I think you have to keep being honest with yourself. But the point of these messages is not, and eh, don't worry about your objections, just get over all that stuff and move on. All I'm saying is, that chances are when you decided if you ever decide to become a follower of Jesus the things on your list will not go away they're just going to be smaller they're, they're just going to pale in comparison to the idea that Jesus Christ who was a real figure on the cross actually did that for your sins and did that for you and whether or not they could put dinosaurs on the ark is not your biggest concern anymore your biggest concern is i am a sinner i know i don't live the way i need to live and i know i need a savior and there is that man hanging on a cross for me and suddenly when i start to focus in on that and what that means for me personally my objections start to shrink because as a married man you know what i know is that I still enjoy freedom. I can still go places and do things that I want to do. The money thing went away. The objections that I may have had as a young man to get married, I just don't think about those anymore because those things shrank when I met her. And that's what happened to you. Those things shrank when you met her or when you met him. And you said, you know what? I'm ready to, I'm ready to do that. And the reason you look at other Christians and think you are so naive to believe that I just don't understand. I don't know how you hold down a job. I don't know how you raise a family. I don't know how you can be as smart as you are and be a Christian. The whole point behind that is 
is that the answer is, well, of course they're smart. Of course they're not naive people. They, they have not checked their brain at the door. I say all the time, you do not have to check your brain at the door to be a Christian. Some of the smartest people I know believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, raised from the dead, and that that saves them. And so it's not, it's not an intellectual thing. It is that these objections started to shrink when we started to look at it in terms of our personal relationship with God. So I want you to turn to John chapter 1, and we're going to do a little Bible study here, and I know you're thinking, how in the world is it going to fit all that in? We're going to go warp speed, all right? It's going to be really quick. But I'm going to show you in Scripture where this happens with someone, beautiful illustration of what we're talking about this morning, from John chapter 1, verse 43. And I'm just going to jump in, and, and we're going to put it on the screen for you so you can, you can follow along that way. John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee finding Philip and Philip becomes one of the disciples of Jesus he said to him follow me the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee finding Philip he said to him follow me Philip like Andrew and Peter was from the town of Bethsaida and here is where the story is going to kind of pick up momentum and it's going to really snowball um the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee finding Philip he said to him follow me verse 45 Philip found Nathanael and told him now Nathanael is one of Philip's friends and, and even though Jesus is inviting isn't uh, Jesus is inviting people to follow him and he's invited Philip Philip decides he's going to go invite someone to follow him to follow Jesus and so he found Nathanael and listen to what he says to Nathanael the next day they're leaving for Galilee finding Philip he said and follow me we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law now you've got to understand how huge this is because they have been waiting for the Messiah for a long, long time. They've been waiting since Moses was around uh, because Moses talked about the Messiah. And in fact, many Jews had decided that, that they, God had abandoned them, that it was all awash because they'd waited so long. They were tired of waiting and they just thought, you know what, we, we've been made fools of. It's just not going to happen. And so they had, a lot of people had given up. And he says, this is the one Moses told us about. We, we, now... Imagine that you and a couple of your friends walked up um, and said, you know that one that we've been waiting for? You're there, you're standing there, and a couple of your friends walk up to you and say, you know, the one we've been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, we found him. And you're, you're, you're there and you go, right, right. You, you found the one. You have found the one that we've been waiting on all this time. Hundreds of years, you know, all of Rome... And, and you're the one that has found this person that we've been waiting on. Verse 45, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. In other words, smart people for hundreds and hundreds of years have looked for this guy, and you found him. Uh, who could believe that? And then Jesus says something that he, uh, um, Philip says something that he probably shouldn't say. Uh, Jesus, and he tells where Jesus is from, Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Now, Nathaniel is like some of you and like some of us used to be and like some of us maybe continue to be from time to time. Nathaniel is a little bit skeptical and, and he should be. And, and he's kind of there. He's minding his own business. And his buddy walks up and says, hey, we just found the Messiah. Now imagine you're Nathaniel and your buddy walks up and says, hey, we just, we just you know that guy we've been looking for for hundreds and hundreds of years, the one that everybody talks about and the one that everybody's given up on? we just found him he, he was over there at the restaurant ordering, ordering a corn dog and and we 
we've, we found him. We're not even sure he knows he's the Messiah, but we found him, and um, come here and meet him. And, and so his name is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel is an honest guy, and, and when he's got an issue, he, he just puts it right out there. Uh, check out verse 46. Instead of saying, oh, that's great, Nathaniel says, Nazareth? And Philip's thinking, oh, I shouldn't have said Nazareth. I shouldn't have said Nazareth. Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathaniel isn't impressed that they found the Messiah, and as soon as he hears the word Nazareth, he's going, I don't think so. I don't think anything good comes out of Nazareth. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us. For some reason, Nazareth had a really bad reputation. We're not even really sure why Nazareth had a bad reputation. But he says, first of all, Nazareth, first of all, you didn't find the Messiah, okay? And if you did find the Messiah, you certainly aren't going to find him in Nazareth of all places. That's not where the Messiah is going to come from. Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? It would be like somebody that you love has a really bad disease, okay? They've got a really bad disease, and, and someone comes up and says, hey, I have found the doctor who can cure that bad disease, and, and, and uh, you say, okay, well, where are they at the IU Med Center? Are they up at Purdue? I mean, you know, are they, are they over in Indy somewhere, St. Francis or Methodist? Or they, we got to go to John Hopkins? I mean, where, where, uh, where is this doctor that has this magical cure? And you say, oh, no, he's at Sandcut. <laughs> you say, Sandcut? Now, I got no beef with Sandcut, but the last time I checked, there's not a hospital in Sandcut, right? <laughs> There aren't doctors hanging around in Sandcut going, you know, I think we've got this whole, this whole disease thing nailed down. You say, yeah, no, it's uh, Sandcut, just north of Terre Haute. You know, I've been to Sandcut, but you're telling me the guy that's got the cure for my disease or the disease for the person I love, it's, you found them in Sandcut? Yeah. Now, at this point, Philip could have made a huge blunder. He could have made a huge mistake. He could have sat down and said, okay, 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 okay. I know that you think nothing good can come out of Nazareth, but I'm telling you, he, he's coming from Nazareth. And, and this is all the reasons why he could come from Nazareth. The mistake Philip could have made was to focus in on Nazareth and make the objection the whole big thing. Philip doesn't do that. At, at the end of the conversation, he may have been able to convince Nathaniel that the Messiah might actually could come from Nazareth, but that's not the way he goes in this. Fortunately, he doesn't do that. Um, instead, he illustrates what's been happening for a couple of thousands of years and, and as, as it relates uh, to adults coming to this place where they feel like they can embrace Jesus. Verse 46, come and see. You know, yeah, he comes from Nazareth. Maybe you don't even believe that. Just, just come and see. Well, wait, we got to talk about this Nazareth thing. No, 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 Na Nathaniel, forget that. Forget Nazareth. Just come with me and see him just meet him just come with me and see what i've seen and maybe you'll understand but i have questions that's fine bring them i've got some objections okay that's fine bring those too come and see i you know i know i can't out argue you I, nathaniel i know you're a smart guy i know i'm not going to out argue you but once you meet him, you're going to forget really a whole lot about this Nazareth thing once you come into contact with Jesus. Just come and see. And then verse 47, you just have to, you have to love this. If you're a person who has major objections, the Bible affirms your intellectual 
honesty. The Bible affirms that you can't pretend. The Bible affirms that if you don't see it, you can't believe in it. The Bible affirms that, okay? So understand that you're among friends this morning that understand that about you. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, approaching, he said of him, he is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. In other words, he says, here comes a guy that doesn't pretend. Here comes a guy that, that does not get bogged down. This guy, is, he, he's, he's not easily fooled. This is a guy that just doesn't follow just anybody. Verse 48, apparently when Nathanael walked up, Jesus said, hi, Nathanael. And it kind of freaked him out. Verse 48, how do you know me? Nathanael asked. And all of a sudden, here's what I want you to see. And again, we're not gonna resolve all this today, but, but, but we're just introducing an idea. And in that moment, Nathanael asks a pretty important question. How do you know me? You see what just happened? It just got really personal for Nathaniel. Uh, suddenly, where Jesus comes from isn't very important because Jesus just got very personal with Nathaniel, called him by name, and now Nathaniel wants to know, how do you know me? How, how did you do that? This suddenly got way closer for Nathaniel than he thought it was going to. And, and this is more than just some intellectual puzzle. How can this guy come from Nazareth? Jesus, how is it that you know my name? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, well, let's talk about this Nazareth thing. That's not what, that's not what Nathanael said, is it? That's not what was going on with Nathanael. You see, when it got personal for Nathanael, it, it, it's, it's suddenly the things that were objections aren't all that important anymore. He just met a guy that knew his name and suddenly what was intellectual, what was categorical, suddenly it gets really personal. Verse 49, then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. I don't know if he ever got over the Nazareth thing. As far as we know, he never got past, you know, the fact that the Messiah could come from Nazareth. But Jesus described this guy as a man in whom there was no guile. In other words, this is a guy that's not easily fooled. This is a guy that doesn't pretend. This guy is a straight shooter. Jesus knew he was dealing with with his questions this guy comes to christ with his questions still intact but he'd come close to jesus and now everything had started to change because in that moment when it becomes very personal suddenly thinking and rational stuff and 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 you know thinking rational adults can finally get to the place where they say you know what my objections are starting to shrink because this has gotten to be really close to me and so here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that if, you, if you're here and you've, you've, you've never really given yourself to Christ and you've got objections, I want you to know that you've been prayed for by me, that our staff has been praying for you, our elders, our church. We've got people that are praying right now in my office for you, that your objections will begin to shrink, not go away. We don't expect them to go away. They may never go away. But, but let's be honest about this, too. Sometimes the objections that we throw up are nothing more than a smokescreen because we know that if we ever really do come close to Jesus, we're going to have to change some things. Our lifestyle is going to change, and we think, well, I don't want to do that, so I'm just going to come up with all these objections, and if they ever say something to me, I'm just going to ask them a bunch of questions about dinosaurs on the ark, and they'll leave me alone. And so that's where your objections come from. And you say, you know what? I don't really have all that many objections. I just don't want to have to change my lifestyle. Well, let's be honest about something. That's not very intellectual, intellectually uh, full of intellectual integrity either. That's not very intellectually honest, is it? That you would say, well, the only reason that I, don't, that I have these objections is just because I don't want to change anything. Well, that's not 
you know what? You're not any better than a whole lot of other people who walk around that, that you've criticized in your life. So there was a time when the Pharisees were trying to trick Jesus. <clears throat> and they asked him a question, what is most important to God? Now, if you were around Jesus and someone asked Jesus, what is most important to God? At the moment Jesus cleared his throat and got ready to answer that question, wouldn't you lean in to want to hear the answer? That happens in scripture. Listen to what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love, the first word, love. Not understand. Not know everything about. Jesus says, look, love. When you begin to love God, it will become personal for you and the objections will begin to shrink. But if you make this all about understanding, but let's understand this about one another. When you have really come to love someone, it wasn't that you understood everything about them right off the bat, right? You loved them, and as you loved them, you've come to understand them. That's the, you, don't, you don't, you know, understand somebody and then go, oh, I love you now. Typically, and, and we don't want people to do that with us. We don't, want people to, we, want, we don't want people to have to understand everything about us before we finally say, well, you know, w- would you be willing to love me now? It's not how it works. When it becomes personal, these things go away. The Bible says... That is, it is God's nature in you that says, I fell in love and I brought my questions with me. See, when this gets personal and when you start to see Jesus Christ dying on a cross for you, suddenly all these other things that you've held as objections, they may not go away. They may never go away. But they'll begin to shrink and they'll shrink to a point that you are willing to at least consider Christ. And that's why we want you to think about taking the plunge. So here's what I would ask you to do. at the end of this sermon, and I would ask you to do this for the next four weeks. I I would just ask you to pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to know you. And I want to know you more than I want answers to all my questions. I want to know you more than I want to have all of my objections dealt with. I want to know you. Because here's what I know. God wants to be known. And if you pray that prayer and you invite God to seriously meet you where you are, there's going to be something that happens. And when it happens, you're going to watch your obstacles, you're going to watch your objections slowly begin to shrink. And you will realize that he is not just the Savior, he is your Savior. And when he becomes your Savior, suddenly all these things that you've put up and said, this is why I'm not a Christian, suddenly they go away because you realize I need a savior we're running late uh, i apologize for that but let's uh, let's pray and uh, give you a chance to to respond father we love you and uh, probably all of us have some objection or some obstacle some question that we've got that nags at us but the questions never get so big that we can't um, see you and the questions never get so big that we would be willing to give up on our faith And so, Father, as we've begun this series this morning, the plunge, I pray for the people in the room who may have legitimate objections. And, Lord, uh, we honor those people. We respect them. And and, uh, we don't ask them at all to to dismiss all those things just because we say so. But, Lord, would you begin to make it very personal for not just them but for all of us? And as that happens and our obstacles begin to shrink, would you give us the courage that it takes to be intellectually honest, to say, you know what? my need for Christ far outweighs any objection that I have. And I may not be able to explain dinosaurs on the ark, and I may not know how to argue with my biology professor in college, 
but I know you're real and I know you died on a cross and I know you love me and that is personal and that changes me. And so Father, we just, we come to you in that vein today. We come to you to tell you that we love you. We don't have it all figured out, you do. And we just lean heavily into you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.